0: podcast from two and a Mike is i think it's really cool and um that is what i wanted to say two and a mic two, 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 two.
1: follows is a talk I had with Parastu about an article she wrote for the Amnesty Journal. I have put all relevant links in the episode description. From my talks with Parastu beforehand, I knew that this conversation was going to be challenging. I was surprised just how challenging. When you hear Rehane's story told by Parastu, you will be shocked and deeply saddened by the level of injustice this young, innocent woman was forced to endure. Injustice is, for there were more than one, that her mother, Shole, lives with and fights against every day of her life. I don't have words to convey what I feel about what Parastu recounts here. Each person should look inside themselves for their own way of dealing with this knowledge. There are any number of trigger warnings I should make you aware of before you listen to this episode. The topics cover execution, false imprisonment, violent abuse and sexual abuse. May Rehane rest in peace and may her memory encourage every person everywhere to stay strong in the face of injustice. I am so happy to say that I'm joined again by Parastu. We had a great chat the last time, and there's had a lot of positive responses as well, Parastu. So thank you very much for coming back to speak with me.
0: Thank you very much for having me again. It was a very great time, and I had a lot of great feedback too from friends, so I'm very happy that you're giving me the platform to talk about Iran. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean I can also say from um, the experience that I've had with communicating with you and some of the people that you work with, too, um, we always talk about such um, important, emotional, uh, perhaps even sort of politically um, heavy topics. Uh, but what, what is really interesting is that in amongst that, your happy-go-lucky character comes out, yeah. So, I think people will have heard that we've talked about the Iran, you know, in, in the context of that exists at the moment it's very serious, and what's happening is obviously tragic for lots of people. Um, but that doesn't keep you down. Um, and when there is an opportunity for joviality and you know, having a having a bit of a giggle. Um, you're one of the first to jump up, uh, so that's always it, it. It changes the atmosphere. Do you know what I mean when when we're talking about these kinds of topics?
0: Yeah, no, I can imagine that. I see that myself when I'm listening to someone talk about serious things, and I see them sometimes still giving like witty jokes or still trying to find the little humor in that. It just makes everything a bit more manageable and digestible, I think
1: yeah absolutely um and, and it's also a great way to uh, sort of inspire younger people i mean you're obviously very young yourself but i mean to inspire other young people to, to come and participate because you become immediately more approachable don't you as as a character
0: that's true no that's very true also aiden um i don't know who was, was on your podcast that's the same thing and no matter the topic <laughs> that you talk about it's very <laughs> it's very fun to see that there's still many fun moments in that that's very nice
1: yeah Aiden um is also one of those unique characters who um yeah he has um you you obviously have a very different uh, vocabulary shall we say at least the way that you express <laughs> yourselves um, um but uh, yeah he is also extremely uh, entertaining um so yeah all right so let's jump into the topic for today then but before the actual interview um and uh, the topic um of uh cholet um this magazine that you write for would you like to tell us a bit about the magazine
0: yeah sure so the amnesty journal that's the name of the magazine is um, amnesty germany's human rights magazine and it is um a very great magazine with a lot of journalistic integrity in there and it's trying to i mean as an ngo you always have platforms on which you communicate and you have a different kind of language and communication on there because you're an NGO and um, there are certain, especially as an an NGO that has researchers and all these different kinds of levels that you go through um, to verify information then the Amnesty Journal is a kind of platform to um, give all those topics a more more creative outlet too and also a more approachable outlet I think because they're Journalists that write in that, sometimes people like me who are not actually journalists, but <laughs> who have had the luck <laughs> to be asked to write for the magazine. And, and I've had the chance to really interview great human rights defenders and great personalities. Um, and yeah, so the magazine is just a way for us not just to have the news. So if we hear about countries and we're hearing some a person was executed there or human rights abuses look like that in this country, then this journal is actually giving a face to these stories. And giving that a bit more, a bigger story, just for us to also have a deeper understanding of that. There's our actual humans behind every number that we see, and there are actual humans behind every human rights abuse on on, on our, our, our world. So that's why I'm yeah, I'm a very big fan of the Amnesty Journal. If I even if I hadn't <laughs> written an article for them, <laughs> I I think I can only recommend it. It's a uh, I think you can also just become a. You don't even have to become a member for Amnesty. You can just um apply for it or even read the on- articles online so that's a very it's, the way is very open for people to just read the articles yeah
1: cool okay and obviously then we will include um a link to uh the the online version of the magazine and thereafter people can find details for subscription if indeed there is such exactly. a thing uh from that so brilliant okay we'll add that um yeah so obviously because of your, um, your, your ethnic background, but also my interest within uh, all things Middle East, but also particularly Iran, because I, I know so many people from uh, that lovely country, um, there is a fascination for us to communicate and to learn more. Um, so before we jump into this very uh, tragic and trying story um, from Sholeh, well, what's the current situation in, in Iran?
0: Um, so, the current situation is, I think, a bit hard to describe. The very latest update that I can give is that yesterday, there was the 27th of Bahman in the Persian calendar, and, and the people in the country that had days before already um, said that that day is going to be a day um, where people will be on the streets and protest more, and show, their, show themselves, um, you know, fighting, continuing to fight for this revolution. Um, so they you know, because of the restrictions in the country and the internet access, a lot of um, people would write the dates on on the walls everywhere. So there was a little um offline, a lot of offline communication to find people and to gather them. And I haven't I have personally only seen the videos from Iranian activists and from the diaspora who shared them. I haven't seen that much talked about in uh, in the traditional news here. But I mean, we have had we have many many other news too that we've been covering the last few weeks. So I do understand that. But it was very um, impressive for me to see um, how many people were still going to on the streets because there have been some people who might feel that the revolution has stopped or it has stagnated or it hasn't continued. But that for me again was another sign to see. No, definitely not. People are still continuing to fight in many different ways. I also saw um, an activist. Um, her name is Daniela. She posted something where she said don't just focus on the people going to the streets. That's not the only form that people are protesting and are continuing this revolution. There are so many other ways. It's um, civil disobedience. We see that a lot. Women not not wearing their hijab, taking it off, walking around. Um, People, for example, university students, female and male, are not allowed to sit and have lunch with each other in the university campus, but many students still do that. So very many different ways that we might not see because it's not a super big newsworthy news, um, but they're still happening in the country. And we just, if you want to find that information, you got to find the activists, the diaspora who are looking for that. And then also a very, um, very interesting update. So uh, last weekend, um, there was the 44th anniversary of the Islamic revolution, um, which was a very big day. A lot happened inside and outside Iran. Um, myself, my mom and I, we were in Paris for the demonstration that was Supposed to be a very big one again, gathering the whole diaspora. Um, in the end, we were about, I think, thousand people. Many very great speakers were there. It was very well organized, um, but unfortunately, due to many reasons, I'm thinking uh, it just didn't have the, it didn't gather the masses that it could have ga- uh, gathered. Um, but what I found very fun to see was in Iran itself. There's also an act of civil disobedience um, or an act of continuing the revolution the country, the regime had many festivities planned for that day because it is a big day for them. And then you saw all these videos and pictures of empty streets, um, empty halls where they had planned to gather many people uh, and people had just not participated in a day because it's not a joyous day for many people and it's not a day to celebrate for everyone who's against the regime right now. Um, So yeah, that is what I can give an update. What I've seen from yesterday was really throughout the whole country, people being on the streets, People shouting, death of dictator, continue to have all these chants that are really very direct and, and tell us everything that we need to know about the nature of the revolution. Um, and the last thing that I'll say is the next update is um, on Monday, there will be another big demonstration in Brussels gathering. Um, I think it's a, a meeting of the foreign ministers, and um, the and diaspora wants to meet there again. And to demonstrate, and I've also heard that Masih Nijat and Hamid Esmaeily, two names that you've heard probably uh, a lot in the last few months, that they will be in Rome too next week, also for a big gathering. And they're you—they're actually they live in the United States or Canada, but they're coming to to Italy, also to probably have the people around them and to talk to them. Um, so yeah, those are those are the updates I can give so far. Yeah,
1: wonderful. Um, good to hear that. Is um. People have to, living in Europe as I have always done, it's um, it's very easy to turn around and perhaps say, come on, why aren't they doing more and so on? There is a very big difference between living in a country where you're openly allowed to go out protest and say whatever you want about the government without any fear of reprisals. Mm-hmm. And there is something very, very different about being in a situation where just by dancing with your partner, for example, that you can go to prison for five years. So um, whichever form um, the rebelliousness takes, that is still extremely courageous. Um, And and it has to be obviously um, recognized um, and respected for what it is. So yeah, I wish all of these people, uh, particularly those who are protesting for the protection of their human rights um, and for a change to the current situation, uh, I wish them all the best and good luck in that. Um, yeah, so that that brings us to this um, interview with um, Shole Pakravan. C- can you tell us how that kind of came about, and and your feelings
0: towards it as well? So um, two months ago, I think I was asked by um, a journalist working for the Amnesty um, Journal if I um, was interested in interviewing Shole Pakravan, and I I will talk about her first. Um, so Shole Pakravan um, is an Iranian. She was an actress, um, dramaturgist, working in a theater, um, and she used to live in Iran until 2017. And 2007, uh, her daughter was was imprisoned. Um, she was taken to jail, and they first didn't know what had happened. And then the story of her daughter continued that she had to stay in jail for seven years, um, innocent until the very end. She um, at the end on two thousand and fourteen, she was executed then, even though her her mother and many people around the world and and supporters, everyone had really protested against it and signed all the petitions and people gathering around the prison where she was to protest the days of the that she was supposed to be executed. So her mom, when that happened to her in two thousand and fourteen, she continued the work against the um, death penalty for three years in Iran itself which is also very dangerous work um, so anything that is even remotely activist uh, an activist nature is deemed uh, as an active of dissident in Iran and um, she worked there because she had seen so many so many horrible things in these seven years um, of people who were either very innocent um, and just waiting for them for waiting to be executed or many other li- living conditions in in, in um, jails because it's not just people that are, are supposed to be executed, but everyone else who's also in in, in jails. Um, just the the conditions there are very bad, and sometimes these people that are they end up in prison. Um, There's just such unfortunate incidences. Um, so she saw that, and during these seven years, and that really sparked her, and really gave her the. The energy, which I find very incredible, um, I, I cannot imagine that myself. To fight for these people, she, so she would do many, many, many things: gathering, giving the people who would leave jail, for example, the opportunity to start a new life, because that is—it's already hard in many of our countries here, but in a country where there's really the justice system is wrong from start to end, and if you don't have—if you don't have wealth and you don't have a support system, the state is not there to support you. So she really. She, her work fighting against the death penalty it has many very really different facets so she really she was an um a huge um, advocate for for everyone there and then after three years she decided to leave iran because she felt that um it would she would probably be uh, imprisoned too continuing her work um against the death penalty so then she came to germany um but she hasn't stopped she definitely hasn't stopped her work and has been living here ever since she is keeping the story of her daughter alive that is i think her main goal what i've gathered from the interview that is her main goal to continue telling the story of her daughter to continue to tell the stories of um the lives of the people in prisons in iran um so yeah so that was a <laughs> long story uh, So i was asked to do that and um it was very important for me definitely with my iranian background too and my um my just my heart just is um very involved in every every topic that has to do with Iran. Um, so when they asked me i I first I knew that I wouldn't be able to travel back to Iran as long as the regime is there. So that was very sure for me because I wanted to keep my name um, with the article together. I didn't want I didn't want it to be anonymous and talking to her because she's also not um, allowed to go back to Iran. If she goes back to Iran, she will be imprisoned um so that was the decision i talked with my family they um they supported me they knew that you know we are all together in this We we won't be traveling to iran as long as the regime is there that is the decision that we've taken and then i met her we talked about um two hours um she told me everything in farsi and then ever since we've been a bit in contact because obviously she had the in these two hours i did have some questions planned but i also wanted just for her to just be able to tell whatever she wants to say because she's free to say whatever she wants to say, and um, yeah. So that was the interview that came about with Shola.
1: How did you feel about it personally? So you're you're obviously familiar with uh, you know, the distressing tale of you know, her daughter, what happened, and uh, about her fight for for justice. And um, I mean, there are many countries that have the the death penalty. Yeah. Um, so there is this sense of um, barbarism whenever we talk about justice at the same time as um, thereafter the death penalty because the belief structure is still such around the world that it's only for a higher power to make that decision of life and death and it shouldn't be down to um, people or of, of a more worldly uh, presence perhaps is the best way to say it emotionally how, how is it for you to, to sort of step into the room finally meet this this lady who you've heard so much about um also were you nervous that kind of thing
0: so i was definitely nervous i'm always nervous before interviewing someone um just because even though you read about people and you see their cv and you see their life it's still so different to see those people and it feels surreal to me if i'm for example i interviewed once a human rights defender who had been tortured and, and prison and had gone through very horrible things and that person was just sitting in front of me in an office building here at Amnesty and was just talking about human rights work and everything I've gone to and for me that is just um, it's crazy after even after working for Amnesty uh, for three years to still see those people then in front of me and see them how courageous they are and they continue to their work and they're just, you know, also laughing sometimes, also telling jokes. Really for me, the um, I'm always trying to not see them just as these people that I admire and that I'm really, I'm respecting them so much, but also as just human beings who don't want to be treated with with the sense of like, oh my God, I cannot, (laughs) I I don't want to say the wrong thing because you've been through horrible things. So, it was the same. I had heard her once speak in person uh, a few weeks before that. She was in Berlin for the Human Rights Women Festival and there was an Iranian movie shown against the death penalty, too. I was talking about that topic and she was part of the panel afterwards and that was the first time I actually heard her speak and um, I I had to cry because um, it, the way that she, at the same time, she never I've never seen her cry, but she, there's so much emotionality, obviously, in her voice because um once your your family member or your loved one has gone through that and they're just not on, on on with you anymore. I cannot imagine that ever leaving you. And the pain always goes. She always talks about endless pain and um, with every step of the death penalty. And you can see that with when she talks about it. It's I'm imagining every time she tells a story about her daughter, she's reliving that again. And she has those emotions inside her. Um so that was very um that was very yeah, that was very emotional to see. And then when we saw each other, it was the same thing. Um, because in these two hours, after talking with me, um, she also wanted me to show. She also wanted to show me the audios that she had um, recorded from her daughter when she had the opportunity to call her from prison. Um, she would sometimes record these to have a voice to also have the what the, what her daughter is saying because there was all these um, legal processes going on. And she really wanted me to listen to that and that was, I I hadn't heard the Rehana's voice before and she showed me that and also with the fact that it was, you know, you can hear that it's a, it's an old telephone used in a jail and then it's her voice talking to her mom um so that was very tough but i obviously i um, it's never about the journalist. it's never the person talking and sitting there so i'm always trying as much as i can to take a step back and just let that person not um you know tell their story and not for them to have to if i start crying then surely would have to console me so that wouldn't have been that that wouldn't have been good um but it was definitely very very emotional to talk to her.
1: Yeah, I, I get your point. Um, I think you're absolutely correct. The the, the the tragedy and the depth of the story is her her experience and what happened with her daughter as well. Yeah. Um, what's also important, though, at least as a secondary issue, and and for me because I know you, um, um, being able to report on these topics and and I I also remember when I when I watched um, the movie Welcome to Sarajevo um, you know reporters people talking about these tragic situations they kind of go into autopilot Um, they don't always fully report the emotional situation or the emotional turmoil that they are experiencing at the time but later on perhaps they reflect upon these and that's an also um yeah they suffer sort of post-traumatic stress disorder because you know they 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 were just living without actually perhaps reflecting upon what was happening but then afterwards it comes back and it hits them I and mean, there is even if you kind of manage to overcome that uh the emotion of the moment there is still a price to pay it does come back um at some point um and, and listening to that i mean i can't imagine um what it must feel like to listen to uh, the voice of somebody whose life was curtailed in such an evil manner um you know and, and it's like this sort of soul coming back from the dead uh to speak with you i i can imagine that must have been extremely difficult and it must be for for her mother
0: yeah it is um I mean, at the same time, because in this case, especially and with the other per- per- people that I had interviewed, um, they came from countries that I had known about, but I didn't have the emotional connection to as much as I have with Iran and talking to her. And also, obviously, we shared a lot about the current situation. Um, and also, I also shared my views in that moment because it was just a talk between two people. Um, so that had a different level to that, too, because we were both from somehow from the same country, even though I never grew up there um and that would just gave it um a different dimension i see her shola as because i'm still also in contact with her Um, i'll be at the belina tomorrow to be there in case she needs someone to translate because she does speak um english and german but in some instances she might just need um, someone to translate so i'll be there and she asked me before so for me she's um like a Like an aunt too that i've met now a person that i look up to um because she's she's the same age as um, my mom and my aunts and she has this nature about him because i also read um, when i was doing research on her that whenever she sees a young girl and a young uh, woman she sees her daughter in that person she can't help it and and i can imagine that's a very common thing that happens so i think she has this very empathetic and also very comforting nature around her which i find incredible because i I really cannot imagine continuing to not just only continue to live and go through everyday life but then also to choose to advocate um and be active tell that story again she she has also written a book which we're probably also going to talk about she that was released um at the end of january so this book now it is out is published and now she will be going on on different um you know a little tour around germany and she will continue to talk about the story. And now the movie is out too, Seven Winters in Tehran at the Belinale, which is a documentary movie about her daughter. And she will also be there at panels and speaking about it. So she really is just in every instance, um, she's reliving that, and, and but it's important for her because for her, it's really important that um, that what happened to her daughter and what happened to Rehana doesn't happen again and doesn't happen to any other person, on, not in Iran, nowhere else. She really just wants the, she wants the death penalty to be abolished completely. She doesn't even feel any kind of feeling of, oh maybe the bad people that are in Iran, the regime, and or the, even the person that was responsible for the execution of her daughter. She doesn't even feel that sense of, okay, we can, you know, I can have my revenge on them, but afterwards the death penalty stops. She's very consistent and and saying that, no, the death penalty, I want it to completely be gone because every everyone who's involved in that even the soldier that is there and has to you know has to go through that um, is forced to or obligated to that because in, if they don't then they have to continue doing their military service or they have very bad conditions so the young men who are a part of the executions in iran they are also this is also a trauma for them they're not they're not doing that um and just not feeling anything afterwards so in every instance um every human involved in that is Feeling this pain, and she wants it to stop, and I can, I can hear that, and I can see that in all her, in all her work, and all the words that she's, all the stories that she's telling us.
1: Yeah, it's just um, emotional to reflect upon, um, yeah, upon that, and people who have loved, um, yeah, as a parent loves, um, and then to have lost um that takes a, a heavy toll but clearly it doesn't then take away the capacity to love that will always remain with her um and it's, it's an extension of that empathy and of that sense of uh of love which allows her to as you say uh sort of project um the persona of her daughter onto other young girls that she sees but at the same time her love of humanity that um allows her to 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 be in the way that she is uh, to say I don't want revenge upon those mm. um, and, and I, 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 I'm unbelievable um okay so the book um, let's come to the book upon upon that book the movie is based is that correct or the documentary is based or is the is the, the um, are they two different projects based upon her daughter?
0: So if I'm not mistaken, the person involved um, with the book, because it is, the publication is in German, but Schole wrote the book in Farsi first, and that was a few years ago, she had already written that, Um, and if I'm not mistaken, the person that is her publisher and the person that she works with, I worked with for the book, is also the person involved with the movie. But I have to say, um, I have to be honest. I don't have, um, I don't know of those projects how intertwined they are. I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, tomorrow I'll just be there for the panel. Um, but the story, uh, the book, and the movie—they just came about because um, when she, when Rehona was still alive, and she was exchanging many letters with her mother, um, there was also, I think, in the last letter that they had exchanged, her daughter Rehona asked of her um, to. There's a Persian saying that says, to give you give me free to the wind. It has the meaning of um, let the person be free, um, let their soul be free and, and continue. And Shola took that as meaning that she wants mm, the story of her daughter to continue. And she wants the that way, the soul of her daughter to be free and to continue t- telling telling her story. So that's the main motivation um, if I'm mistaken, of how the book came about that Shola wrote. And she, she she just really wanted to share that, and um, the book is, I think she explained it to me, because I haven't read it yet, um, she explained it to me that it is written part from her view and part from the view of Rehana, um, to show the life that Rehana was living in prison and the life that Shola was living simultaneously outside of prison. And they were both working um, side by side on many different, you know, many different um, actions, helping. Rehana was just not in prison. She lived. She said herself, she lived a whole life in, in prison too. Having these connections with the other inmates, learning about the life of these women, many of them who she wouldn't have met if she hadn't been in jail, because she came from a, I think, upper middle middle class family, and so very separated probably from any other class and in 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 the jail itself rehana would advocate and also continue to tell her mom oh this is the story of this person please tell her please tell the word the story about um my friend here and try to get her not to be executed or try to get her freed earlier so both of them not just Shula, uh, who's been doing that ever since but rehana in these 7 years she really and i i cannot express my admiration for what she did in those 7 years she really um you know, She, she has lived the whole life in there, so that's um, how, I mean, seven years, I cannot imagine seven years is such a long time. There must have been so much that um, Shola still has in her brain, all these stories, everything else. So that's why the book and the movie, I think, came about to, not just only tell Rehana's story, but also to, that way, through the story of Shola, talk about the situation of um, people waiting for um, their executions in Iran and generally the, the nature of death, the death penalty.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously familiar with the the death penalty because of, um, well, essentially stories from the USA um, and you know, the movies that I've seen and, and so on. Um, but in all of those cases, even where there has been a clear miscarriage of justice, which is very much the case for a lot of the, um, especially black men on death row since the 50s, 60s, 70s, and so on, mm. um, these are consequences of a trial of some sort whereas i kind of get the feeling that in iran um, especially people who were dissidents there was no real trial there wasn't really an opportunity for somebody to get up and say actually look, i'm innocent all i did was this and that that should be my right to express this that opportunity was perhaps not afforded all of those people Um, and, and i think I think this is an ex- a very clear distinction that we have to um, yeah, specify that in these cases, these people are not tried along the lines of any process which we would consider to be just or fair.
0: That is very true, uh, very accurate. Um, thinking about Andrejone's, um trial in our case, I mean, as you say, naming a justice system is already in itself like an oxymoron uh, because there is no no justice there. Um, But what happened in Iran, because there are so many laws that I find very confusing and inhumane. So in Iran, um, when you're in front of um, court, the person that the victim, the victim's family, the victim is not there anymore, the victim's family, is given the chance to pardon the person that is being accused of whatever they're being accused of. And so even in that instance, the family of Rehana, maybe I should tell the story of um, Rehana. So she um, had met a man um, who she thought was going to be was going to be a business meeting, and she, she was a an architect. And that person, said, oh yeah, I need someone to design my my office, my building, or even apartments um and he invited her to go and see that space and she as a professional duty that okay i'm I'm coming to see that place and this man had intended to rape her and he had prepared um he had prepared anything like a blanket uh, condoms were on the table um drinks and everything so he had prepared this already and she um she didn't want she, she obviously didn't want that to happen and she fought against it um and in that case they were fighting and she the only thing that she could do was hurt him with the knife that was on the table a very short swiss knife that was the only thing that she could do in the end she was able to in that moment after her, um, hurting him she was able to pound against the door and then leave the place she called an ambulance and um, she came home and um that man died later um in hospital and then I don't I'm not quite sure how it came about but then the police they came to Shule and Pagan's place, place in the middle of the night took the daughter and they said like yeah if you just write that you bought the knife that was at this place um you know you you have to write this confession and then um you know we'll, we'll continue to do that and you'll we'll get something you'll get a, a sentence but um it'll be the end of it And also, don't say that you were supposed that you were going to be raped, because uh, this person it turned out um, he was from the he was from the um, military guard uh, guard in Iran. So the nature of this turned political because this man they they didn't want that nature to uh, they didn't want it to be revealed that he was he was going to rape her, and obviously the family didn't want this. They were saying that oh this is the defamation. Our son would never do that. Um, so in front of court, they had this case of the family not wanting to pardon her only if she said that you know she she just lied about the rape allegations and that that was not the intention. Um, and then they were unlucky because the first the first judge was very confused um, about the state of evidence. There was not much evidence. They were like, how how is she supposed to have the Swiss knife? It's not that easy to um, get a Swiss knife in Iran. And um, also, the police haven't really um, analyzed the scene, and there's so much there's so much information lacking. But then, um, because of the political nature, um, the judge the judge was changed, and that judge was clearly ahead of keeping the rape allegations at bay, um, really turning it into a story of this woman, she's crazy, and she killed this man, and she has to she has to be executed. And and Rehana, she could have said if she had taken, if she said yeah he didn't he didn't want to rape me she wouldn't have been executed and uh, but she obviously she wanted to stay true to herself and and uh, have this integrity and be like no I, that happened to me this man wanted to do that i am innocent and this trial is a uh, is a sham from start to begin, um, to end so she stayed true to that until the until she was then unfortunately executed and um Yeah, so the justice system in Iran, there's really either you have to be um, lucky with the case of the judge, the first judge that there was, there might have been a chance that Rehan's story wouldn't have turned out the way it turned out. Um, Or, you know, you're just falling into that trap. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough money to go out on bail. And then you just stay there. And it's just a, a vicious cycle that continues. So that is unfortunately the nature of the justice system in Iran.
1: Uh I, I have no words. Um for someone to have been then the victim not just once but then twice. Um and so tragically uh at the same time. I, yeah. I, I think anybody who listens to that story, who reads the book, who watches the documentary will um will formulate a certain kind of opinion. Um, um yeah, I I have no words. Um, but I'll stop for that. Shocking.
0: Yeah, it is very shocking. Um, but at the same time, it is as we see that um, you know, as, as Shula is showing us, she um, she really she could have just, which is also very understandable. She could have just continued living in a very having this grief in her and just live her life um, and always just feel this pain and not do anything or not not do anything to turn that grief into something that um, is now so big. I mean, it's very understandable if someone does in Shola's situation doesn't do what she's doing, that is very understandable. I would never think of even asking someone to, you know, just continue turning grief into action. Um, but if if I always see Shola not giving up and I see Shola, who's gone through all that, um, continue to talk about it because there are still so many people that might have the same have the same fate as her daughter um that just gives me a lot of strength too and a lot of conviction too that we'll just not um, not to become hopeless and to fight for the for not just the regime to fall but the whole justice system in iran too to to just be started from from you know fresh and to give it the the word justice has to mean something in iran and for now it's not it doesn't mean anything there so i um i'm very i'm very um Grateful. I'm very grateful for people like Shola who are, um, you know, continuing to talk about it because if she if she and other people weren't telling these stories that they really don't have to say because no one is asking anyone to tell um, a story full of grief, um, but she and everyone who's involved in that, making movies, not just the movie that is out now, but any movie that deals with topics like the death penalty, writing a book, continuing to talk about it, giving interviews. She even went to the, to the convention against the the World Congress against the death penalty, meeting many people from other uh, countries that are, they still have the death penalty. So just on, on many different levels to just give all, uh, everyone who's outside of these countries, also the the picture, telling the stories, making it very important for us to know about it and then also to take action and i find that very i'm very grateful for for shola too that she is so willing so willing to um tell rehana's story and it's it's like a i call it life mission i don't know if she called but for it, for me it seems like it's her it's very uh, her biggest life mission and she wants to continue doing that
1: yeah wonderful and it's it's um her strength of character i i immeasurable um is is what i can uh, say about that um I, I find it extremely difficult to to try to deal with the with the series of emotions that your sort of retelling of, of that story has uh, um, yeah has produced. So I, I can't imagine how it must also feel for you um, as a woman um, to 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 have to also you know consider the fact that so many um, women are treated in this way um, everywhere. In the world, we see it in every country. Um, and, and this misogyny, this um, this sense that um, you know men feel that they can behave however they wish. Um, this horror um, you know continues in such a way. I, I can't imagine what kind of feeling that must give to to, to a lot of women. Um, so you know strength to you all um, for, for for your work and, and, you know, and also telling the story. And facilitating the continuation of that uh, of that story in every every way that you do. So, um, yeah, my compliments to
0: you as well for that. Thank you very much. Um, I also wanted to say that we both wanted to have also Shola on the podcast, but because of her very busy schedule, because it, <laughs> I also want to explain why I am telling the story and not Shola her, herself. So she's ha- she's ha- a very busy schedule, um, and also I think um, um, it might take a many many weeks before we might get to have her on the podcast so i just wanted to give my experience of talking with her and writing the article but obviously um i implore everyone to read up on the more outside of what i'm i'm saying because it's a very it's just my <laughs> my personal experience right now but there's so much more that you can delve into i think there are some letters I also published online that Rehone or her mom were um were sending each other and um, there's also the human rights professor that I was talking about. The panel, the first time that I heard her speak, it's also on YouTube. So if anyone wants to hear these words and everything from Shula herself, there, I really, um, I, I can only recommend doing that um, to just continue and hearing it from her. I mean, she, she also have this very melodic Persian accent when she speaks, and it's, it gives everything that she's telling. Um, just uh, you, really, you feel like you You can understand every emotion that she's um conveying, and you you see yourself as part of the as part of this experience and the story too. So I can only recommend to listen to Shola herself um if you if people get the chance and have the time to do that,
1: yeah, and um please send me the you know, the links as yeah. well, and i'll I'll add them all to the um to the episode notes. Yeah. Um, if in the future um when the the tour and everything uh, has been completed um, and Shola um, does have time uh, to speak with us albeit in farsi um, <laughs> then it would be a pleasure to you know even if it's just for a few minutes um yeah. to have her speak and to, to hear her um you know recant some of the work that she's doing yeah um, then that would be wonderful as well um Thank you very much. Um, what can I say? You um, you always leave an impression, um, and on this particular occasion, obviously the story uh, is is more than enough to leave its own impression. But um, for you to have delivered it in the way that you have as well, um, thank you very much.
0: Thank
1: um, you. Thank yeah, I look forward to the next time.
0: Me too. I um I'm I will be obviously I'll update you every week for <laughs> about the situation in Iran, and and also there are many other topics that um I you know when you're talking <laughs> you just forget about many other stuff but i'm um, looking forward for um to talking about um every other development in iran and that is happening and that will be happening and um yeah thank you very much again for having me and for yeah really just also feeling the feeling my <laughs> my conviction <laughs> as you keep saying that i continue to talk about it and um giving me the platform to blabber on <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah give on my monologues for a, a few minutes and um, thank you very much
1: it never feels like a monologue to <laughs> I, I have to say i'm i'm o- always very uh, intrigued and uh, enthralled uh when, when i listen to you know to your you know even if it's simply an update about what's happening and so on and you know you do communicate in uh, this wonderful way that you do so um yeah thank you thank you very much
0: thank you very much thank you two 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 and a mic Two, two, two and a mic